Uh, and when I say that, I should probably qualify that. I love bad family photos. I love awkward family photos. You know, when they just, they turn out really poor and you look at it and you go, Ugh. I love those. And there's always a story behind the awkward family photo. And I got a couple of examples of what I mean this morning. We're gonna take a this one. This tells a story. I'll get out of the way here. Yeah, here's a story this one tells. Hey, do you remember that time you wanted Cheerios but the milk had gone bad? And now you're gonna remember forever. Here's another one, this is a great story. This, uh, I don't know if you can tell it. This is, this is, to me, tells the story of somebody had a great idea. Hey, let's all wear pajamas on Christmas morning. And dad went, okay. Uh, there you go. And then this one's my favorite. Oh, this is a beautiful one. This is just awkward all the way around from the wardrobe to the posing to that weird, weird makeout picture on the side. It's awkward. But this actually has a legitimately cool story behind it. You see, this family has five children, four of which were adopted out of foster care. And they were sitting in church one day, and the parents heard their pastor say something about parenting that really stuck with them. They said, relationship without rules equals rebellion. And that really resonated because they had the rules part down. They ran their, hel- their house pretty good. It was a tight ship, but they wanted to make sure their kids always knew there was a solid relationship there, especially given their backgrounds. And so they do a lot of fun things together as a family. And one of the fun things they do is every year, they take a really creative family Christmas card photo. And this year, the theme was awkward family photo. So they sat down as a family and they came up with all of the ideas that they could, all these ways to make this the most awkward family photo ever. And they succeeded. It is just awful. It's just a fun story. And I like to talk about family and I like those family photos because family is something I think everybody can resonate with because we all have a family. Now our families may look different. None of those families look the same. Our families might look you know, different still. They might be bigger, they might be smaller. Our families may get along great, they may not get along at all. Our families may be very talented people and outgoing people. Our families may be very reserved people. You know, maybe our families like to go on trips together. Maybe family trips are the last thing our families should ever do together. I don't know, everybody's family is different. But here's what I do think is probably true of each and every one of our families. We probably love them. We may not always like them, but we always love them. And if our backs are against the wall and our family truly needed us, I'm willing to bet most, if not all of us, would move heaven and earth to help them out because that's what family does. Family is just this powerful concept and this powerful image that resonates inside all of us to some extent. And that's probably why one of the images that God uses to describe the church in the Bible is that of a family. Today, we're gonna be continuing a series we started a few weeks ago called Stop Going to Church. And that title is a little off-putting maybe, but the idea is this, church is not a destination. It's not a place we go. It's not an event we attend. It's not an activity that we participate in. The church is you, it's us together. The church is the people of God. And there are a lot of different metaphors and images that God has given us in scripture to help us understand what it means for us to be the church and what that looks like in practice. And like I said, one of them is the family. And so we're gonna dive into that image. There's a lot of different passages we could look at this morning, but for our purposes, we're gonna be looking at the book of Galatians chapter three. So if you have your Bibles with you, I wanna encourage you to open those up to Galatians chapter three, follow along there. If you don't have your Bible with you, don't sweat it. We always put the passages on the screens to the side. Or I would encourage you, especially if this is your first time with us, consider downloading the FCC Monmouth app on your mobile device. 
It's got sermon notes. Uh, it's got a Bible for you to use on there. It's got ways for you to connect with us today, after the service, and throughout the week. To find those sermon notes, you just click the Sunday button on the navigation bar, and then you'll find sermon notes with all the passages ready to use. Whatever avenue you choose, though, Galatians 3 is where we're going to be. So as you're flipping there, as you're pulling it up on your device, whatever avenue you choose, here's the opening proposition that we're going to start with. As members of the church of Jesus Christ, we hold a place in the family of God. We hold a place in his family. Now, here's what I mean by that. We're going to look at Galatians to help us understand. Galatians is a letter. It's written by a guy named Paul. He was somebody chosen by Jesus to go into the world to plant churches and to preach the gospel to the Roman Empire. And he is writing to a church in the city of Galatia that's experiencing a problem. Because a lot of these people are living under the assumption that in order to be pleasing to God and acceptable to him, we have to do two things. We have to place our faith in the saving work of Jesus as our Lord. And then we also have to live according to all the rules and regulations and stipulations of the Old Testament in order to be pleasing to him. Now, one of those things, the first, is absolutely true. We all need Jesus. The second thing is not true. It's not Jesus plus anything that saves us. And so Paul is writing to this, this church, trying to offer some correction in their understanding. And he starts to explain about the Old Testament law and, and how we as Christians should look at it and view it. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 23. He says, before this faith, and by the way, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus there. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So he's saying to this church and to us by extension, he says, when you read the Old Testament, you need to understand that that law was put in place sort of as a, not as a captor, but as a guard. We were kind of imprisoned in some ways. And, and when he uses that metaphor, he's not trying to say that all the rules and regulations and stipulations in the Old Testament are bad, because they're really not. If, if we were to look at kind of a broad stroke picture of the kind of life that an Old Testament uh, a stipulation paints, it's actually a pretty faithful life and a pretty good life of somebody that honors the dignity of their neighbors, somebody that puts God above all other things, somebody that lives life with integrity and generosity and hospitality and so on. If we could actually live up to that standard, we would have pretty God-honoring lives. The problem is not with the Old Testament law. The problem is with us. Because as hard as we try, we can never live up to that standard. We fail all too often and in too many ways. We have an inadequacy. We cannot be God-honoring and pleasing by our own power. You might think about it like this. If I were to build a house, I would go to work and I would do the best I can to build the house as soundly as I can, but, but there are certain codes that that building is gonna have to live up to, right? In order for me to like get insurance and stuff. And so after I get done with the house, I'm going to have an inspector come out and take a look at that house. And he's probably going to say, well, this is out of code and this is out of code and this is out of code. And then he's going to say, you have an opportunity to fix it. So I'm going to get to work. and I'm going to try as hard as I can to remedy and rectify those shortcomings. But chances are he's going to come back out and say, good try, but it's still not up to code. And so I'm going to try it again. And I'm going to do everything I can to build this house as soundly as I can. But try as I might, I can pretty much promise you that house is not going to be up to code. And that ought to be an indication to me that I can't do this on my own. 
That ought to be an indication that I need to find somebody else who can build this house, somebody who knows what they're doing, somebody that has the skill, somebody that has the ability to build this sound, up-to-code structure. And that's what the law, the Old Testament stipulations does for us. When we read it today, we look at this life that it paints and how we're supposed to be these certain people that practice all these different things. And what it ought to fill us with is this overwhelming realization that we can't do this ourselves. There's no way I can build that house, so to speak. I need somebody who can be righteous for me. I need somebody who can live up to this standard, somebody that can live this perfect God-honoring life. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world. He did live up to that code. He did build that house, if you will. And he invites us to come and live in it. All we have to do is say yes to the invitation. You are my Lord, you are my Savior, and I need what only you can do. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's a gift that comes to us freely because of God's grace. And when we say yes to Christ, we receive that that new blessing, that gift of innocence and purity, but something else happens too. We keep reading in Galatians, we see it. Verse 26, let's look at that. You are all sons, and and I would add here, you can say daughters as well. Sons is a, a legal term here. You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So when we say yes to Christ, we say yes to that invitation, we do receive that innocence, we receive that forgiveness of sin, we receive that righteousness in God's eyes, but something else special happens. We become members of God's family. We become his children, his sons and daughters. Now, some of us may hear that and we may say to ourselves, wait a minute, I thought everybody was a child of God. Like he's everybody's father, right? Because that's oftentimes how it's spoken in our culture or in our society. We're all God's children and so on. And to some extent, in some sense, that is true in that God is our creator. He's the creator of all things. He is the originator of all things, including people. And so in that sense, yes, we are God's children. But in a different, and I would argue a more important sense, no, not everybody is a child of God. Not everybody is a son or daughter. Not everybody has rightful claim to his household. That is something that is reserved, a special honor and a special privilege that is reserved for an elect group of people who meet a certain condition. And we might say to ourselves, well, what is that condition and who are these people? We just read it in verse 26. The condition is all of you, uh, for you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. If we've said yes to Jesus, if we've accepted that invitation, that's when we become sons and daughters of God in this binding significant sense. So who are this this elect group of people then? Well, it's us, it's the church. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have embraced God's invitation to come and to be saved, to say, I can't build the house myself, I need you to do it, you have been brought into a very special group of people, the very family of God, his sons and daughters. That is an honor and a privilege reserved for the church. And anybody's invited to come. But if you don't say yes to the invitation, You can't say you're part of the family. We are very privileged. And here's the kicker. We don't deserve this. We've not earned this. We're not entitled to this. This isn't something that is owed to us. This is a gift. This is something that God has 
put before us and invited us to take part in because of something called grace. And if I'm not deserving of this and you're not deserving of this, we're all equally undeserving and yet equally loved. None of us has any room to boast or brag, do we? This is a very humbling thing. In fact, we read about that as we keep looking at Galatians. Look at verse 28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. These are, these are some of the most divisive uh, uh, social categories in the ancient world. There were Jews and there were Greeks. And if you're Jewish, obviously, that meant you were raised in Judaism, worshiping the God of the Bible. If you were called a Greek, it didn't mean you're necessarily from Greece. It just meant that you weren't Jewish. You were one of the number of, of other Gentile people groups worshiping idols and so on. But in the family of God, both of us are equally undeserving and equally loved. It doesn't matter if you grew up worshiping the God of the Bible or you grew up worshiping some worthless, useless statue. If we said yes to Jesus, we are equals in this family equally belonging, equally forgiven, equally loved. Slave and free, that's another social category. If you were a slave in the ancient world, you had next to no rights. It was a very low, low social category. If you were free, it wasn't the highest, but it was a higher social category. And there were a lot of other privileges and benefits that came with being a free man. But in the family of God, because you slave are undeserving and you free man are undeserving and yet equally embraced by the father, you are equals in this family, brothers and sisters, equally forgiven, equally belonging, equally dignified. Male and female, that's another one. These were social categories. If you were a woman in the ancient world, you had relatively few rights. If you were a man, you could kind of do whatever you wanted, to be fair. Now, in the family of God, it didn't work that way because we are equals, equally forgiven, equally embraced, equally saved through the blood of Jesus. And so I can't boast, I can't brag, I can't treat you as less than or think of you as less than, even though the rest of the world may be pleased to do so because we are family. We are one in this body. You might think about it like this. I heard this story one time. I don't know if it's true. I tell a lot of stories. I don't know if they're all true or not, but it makes the point, right? It's a story of these two boys. They were six years old. And they went to kindergarten or first grade. I think it was first grade they went. And their teacher asked, okay, how old are you? We're six. Okay, and your brothers? Yes, we're brothers. Well, when's your birthday? It's October 10th. And then she asked the other one, when's your birthday? Oh, it's November 11th. And the teacher thought for a minute, so you're brothers, and you're a month apart. That, boys, that's not possible. And the boy said, oh, one of us is adopted. And the teacher said, oh, okay, well, that makes a little more sense. Which one of you is adopted? And this is the part that I love. They said, well, I don't know. We asked our dad one time, he just kissed us both and said, I forget. Yeah, sweet, isn't it? I don't know if it's true, but it makes the point. That's the way the family of God works. Who were you before Jesus? What had you done? Where did you come from? What was the state of your being? God kisses your head, he kisses my head. He says, I don't know, I forget. We are equally forgiven, equally belonging equally welcomed into this family. We stand together, and it's not because any of us deserve it. It's because of God's grace. Our family, this family, is built on a foundation of his grace. Clunk. And that's important to remember as we continue this conversation, because as members of God's family, as members of the church of Jesus Christ, we hold certain blessings 
in the family of God. There are benefits and gifts that come along with this, this honored position that we hold. There's benefits to belonging to any family. I've talked about this before. I'll, I'll just share it again. If, if you belong to my family, the Schultzes, then you probably know how to build things and fix things because that's just what we do. My great-grandfather taught it to my grandfather. My grandfather taught it to my dad. My dad taught it to me. I'll teach it to my boys. We just, we just fix things. That's what we do. You know, and it's benefited me a lot throughout my life in various ways, some of them unexpected. When I was a freshman in high school, we were doing a unit on William Shakespeare. I hate Shakespeare. I just, I don't enjoy it. I don't get the language. All the humor is just whoosh, over my head. I don't get it. And so if I could find some way to get through this unit without reading Shakespeare, I was going to do it. Or a teacher gave us a list of possible projects we could do. And one of them was to build something. I said, that's mine. I call that. And so my buddy Rick and I, we went out to my dad's wood shop and we grabbed some scraps of wood and we built a replica of the Globe Theater, which was the place where Shakespeare's plays were performed in London. Now, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't really a replica on the inside. We just like glued some stage parts down. It wasn't accurate, but it was big and it was flashy and impressive enough to get us a B plus and I didn't have to read any Shakespeare. So that benefited me immensely. I count that as a blessing. A little more practical aspect, you know, in our house, we had two bedrooms, no ceiling fans, no light switches, anything. And my wife said, I'd really like a fan in there before the baby gets here. So I went to Lowe's, bought some fans, bought some Romex cables, switches, boxes. We put it in, it took a couple hours and it didn't cost that much. Now, if I had to pay somebody to do that, it probably would have cost a lot more. It's just one of the benefits of belonging to my family. We just, we just fix stuff. And you probably have benefits and blessings because you belong to your family. Maybe your family, you come from a line of great cooks. Or maybe your family is really good at athletics and you've been blessed with good health and, and good you know, physical bodies. Maybe your family has a knack for finance or investment. Maybe your family is well-read and highly educated. Whoever your family is, where you come from, you have gleaned some benefit from belonging to that group of people. And the family of God is no exception to this. There are blessings and benefits to belonging to this family. We read about a lot of them in the book of Ephesians. If you ever want to read these in more depth, Ephesians chapter one is very condensed. It is very dense read, but it's a very condensed uh, expression of these gifts. If we were to look at verse six, we'd find that in the family of God, we are blessed with forgiveness. In verse seven, we are blessed with redemption and the forgiveness of sins. If we were to look at verse nine, we're actually going to read this one. Here's an unusual blessing that actually is amazingly beneficial in our lives. Ephesians 1, 9. It says, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I told you it was dense. Little known fact, uh, the first 14 verses of the book of Ephesians is like one sentence. It's, it's a lot. Anyway, you didn't need to know that. So Ephesians, the, what we just read, Here's what Paul just said. He said, basically, God has this plan, his will, we call it. It's his plan for what he's going to do in history, what he's going to bring everything towards, the conclusion that he's going to bring to this grand story that we call time. This is what he's going to do. He's going to bring everything under the lordship of Christ. That's where this is all headed. And that's what he has clued us into as his family. Now, anybody can read that. Anybody can hear that, but only his family knows the legitimacy and the truth of that. 
He's revealed to us what the future holds so that we can find comfort and find peace and find hope in knowing that whatever comes, here's what God will come to pass. This is where it's headed. There is comfort to be had there. That's a benefit. There's an added more personal benefit to that too. We ask the question a lot in our lives. We phrase it different ways. What's God's will for my life? What does he want for me? What is this all about? What am I supposed to do? Believe it or not, this actually addresses that personal question too. If you don't know already, I'm gonna revolutionize your life this morning with a few simple words. Here's God's will for your life. Look more like Jesus each day and help those around you to do the same. If you wanna summarize and personalize Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, that's what it is. Look a little more like Jesus each day and help those around you do the same. And the rest of your life, where you work, who you marry, where you move, where you live, a lot of times God says, I've given you freedom to make that decision and enjoy it. And so long as it honors me and you're looking more like Jesus and helping others do the same, have fun, choose, live your life. You don't need to live with this angst and this pressure of what if I make the wrong choice? As long as you're looking more like Jesus, there is no wrong choice. We don't have to live with this pressure of, oh no, is this God's will for me to to live on this street or that street or take this job or take that job? You know what? As long as you're looking more like Jesus and helping other people do the same, pick whichever house fits you better. Pick whichever job is better suited for you. Have fun. You don't need to live with that pressure and that weight because God's certainly not putting it on you. When it's all said and done, here's how he's gonna end the story. Jesus reigns. And as long as your life is moving in that direction, you're in God's will. That's a gift he's given us. That's a blessing and a peace and a hope and a comfort that we as his children get to have today. Ephesians 1.13, it talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's own spirit dwells within us. It is our connection to God. He is our, our guide. He speaks to us. He encourages us. He lifts our spirits. He empowers us to live that life that looks more like Jesus. He is God's deposit that everything he said is going to come true and come to pass. And all of these gifts, all these blessings of belonging to God's family, they all point and lead to this ultimate blessing. Something that that our passage in Galatians called the, the promise, sometimes it's called the inheritance. We read about that in Revelation 21, six. He said to me, it's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. So this this image of this abundant, unending life that's ever flowing on and on and on forever and ever, you get to drink freely from that. And this is what God says, he who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son or daughter. I told you that's that's a legal term because we are his family because we are his children, there is an inheritance he has promised us, this rich, unending, abundant life. And that is ours because we are his. There are blessings and benefits belonging to this family. And again, I would remind you, we don't deserve any of this. No matter how impressive our lives may be, no matter how good we may think we are by our own efforts, no matter how high we climb on the social ladder, there is nothing we could do or say that would make us one iota more deserving or more worthy of this generosity. It is grace. It is a gift given to us because of Christ Jesus. 
That is a very humbling and freeing realization. Our family is built on grace, and grace is the foundation of our blessing. And there's one more part of that grace statement that we're going to add to now. When we think about the family, you know, family is belonging, family is benefit. There's something else to belonging to this family. As members of the church of Jesus Christ, we hold a certain duty to the family of God. There are obligations and responsibilities that we hold as family members. Now, if you're paying attention, you may be saying to yourself, now wait, I thought you said that this was free. We can't do anything, nothing we say can earn this. So, so what do you mean? Yes, our adoption into this family, totally a work of God, his grace. But now that we're in the family, just like every family, we have to be a family. And there are responsibilities that have to be taken care of. When I turned 16, you, a lot of you can probably relate with this story. When I turned 16 and got my driver's license, I thought I'm gonna be free. I'm gonna get in that car, I'm gonna have independence, I'm gonna live my life, I'm gonna go where I wanna go, do what I wanna do. And from day one, that dream was shattered. I got my license and the very next statement out of my mom's mouth was, hey, I forgot to get a loaf of bread at the grocery store, why don't you run up there and get that for me? Okay. Hey, uh, I'm gonna be really busy uh, this year at work, so when you get out of school, I need you to go pick your little sister up every day. Okay. Hey, it's Tuesday. She has dance practice. When you get off of work, why don't you run over to the next town and pick her up from the studio and bring her home, okay? All right. There was a laundry list of chores. I wasn't free. I was now the third driver in the house. There's all kinds of stuff they had for me lined up to do. <laughs> and anytime I complained about it, they were very quick to remind me, hey, whose house do you get to live in? Hey, who puts gas in that tank once in a while? Hey, who waves your curfew and forgets about it every once in a while when you want to stay out late and have fun? There were blessings and benefits to belonging to my family, but there was also a responsibility to contribute and actually be a part of the family. By the way, did anybody else ever get a talk like that from your parents, just so I know I'm not alone? A couple of people. Yeah, that's pretty par for the course, I've learned. It's about the age where we realize that family carries with it a certain duty and responsibility. And the family of God is no different. We belong to this family. We are blessed beyond understanding and beyond what we deserve, but there are duties. And we start to read about them at the end of Galatians. You know, in Galatians 3, we heard we are the family. We started to understand what that means. As that letter progresses, it moves into chapter 6 where we start getting a lot of application. And in chapter 6, verse 9, that application gets tied up in a nice little bow for us to read succinctly this morning. It goes like this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, and let me clarify that phrase, we should not understand that to mean as we go about our lives and opportunities just kind of show up, let's do good. A better understanding of that phrase is while we have opportunity, while there is still breath in our lungs, while there is still sand in our hourglass, while we still tread this earth, let us do good to all people but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As people that are saved by grace, as people that have tasted God's goodness, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works to all people. But there is a special focus, a special obligation, a special concern for those who are in the family of faith. There is a special privileged care that we ought to take in making sure we do good by those sitting around us today. Why? Because that's what family does. They look out for each other. I said earlier, you know, we all have different families. They all look a little different. Maybe we don't like each other sometimes, but we always love each other. And if something happened when they needed us, we'd probably move heaven and earth to help them out because that's what family does. 
And that's what this family does too. We take care of one another. There's a laundry list of passages in the New Testament. It's called the, the one another passages. Depending on how you count, they're somewhere between 80 and 120. They outline for us, what does it look like for the church to take care of one another, to, to love one another, be a family? I'm not gonna read all 80 or 120 passages for you this morning. Just breathe easy, okay? I will summarize it for you though. They, they tell us to help one another, to care for one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to celebrate with those who celebrate, to mourn with those who mourn. They instruct us not to slander or to gossip about one another. They get us ready to accept the fact that we're probably going to hurt one another and step on one another's toes. But they remind us not to give up on one another or turn around and walk away from one another, but instead be eager to show grace to one another. There's that word again, grace. Grace is the reason our family exists. Grace is the foundation of the blessings that we experience and grace is our obligation to one another to show each other forgiveness, patience, understanding, to celebrate with those who celebrate. Grace is the reason we show up at somebody's house with a pot of soup when they're going through a hard time or they've lost a family member. Grace is the reason that even though we may get into an argument with somebody, we still sit around the table with them and break bread and the, the act of communion. Grace is the reason our family continues and persists and has for 2000 years. Now, if the church were just a destination, if it were a place that we went or an event that we attended, we would not have this obligation to one another because all of you would just be people that, that go to the same activity that I do once a week. And I would have about as much obligation to you as I do to people I attend a concert with. But that's not what the church is. It's not a place we go. It's not something we do. It's who we are. It's who God invited us to be and created us to be, the family. And as a family, we have this obligation to each other to practice grace. Now, we started our time together this morning looking at some family photos. And if the technology has worked out this morning, I'm praying it has, Steve, we're good. I got one more I wanna show you. I don't know if you can make that out, but that's our family. That's us from this morning, shaking hands, talking, laughing, hugging. Some of us might be able to see our faces. Some of us just look like white blobs up there. I apologize. Maybe we need to get more projectors. That is our family. And that family tells a story. That picture tells a story, just like all of those other family photos. This is a story of messy people who have messy lives, but all of us have been brought together under one household, under one name, equally loved, equally forgiven, given an equal place at the table. This is our family that God has made. Now, whether this is an awkward family photo or not is up to us. It's up to us and whether we choose to be the family or we choose to just be people who sit together in a building distantly for an hour a week. It could be an awkward family photo if instead of caring for one another and showing grace to one another, we, we end up being those people that just complain about the family and all the different ways that the family's falling short or not measuring up to ex expectations. That could make for a really awkward family photo. But if we take up those one another passages and we care about one another, we support one another and encourage one another, 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. If we practice the blessing of grace, we will be a shining example of how God can take broken people and make a beautiful family out of them. How we can be a church. So that's my challenge just this morning. Don't go to church. Be the church. Be a family. And, and don't do that, by the way. Don't experience belonging and blessing just by coming and sitting and leaving. I would encourage you to seek out the family. Join a small group. Join a class. Join a ministry team. Serve alongside these people. Resist the temptation to bolt out the doors the minute we say amen. Stick around, talk, introduce yourselves. Say, hey, get to know some people. Put down some roots because this is a group of people worth knowing worth loving, and worth being loved by. Don't go to church. Be the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for their stories. Some of them pretty easy, some of them really difficult, and a lot of them just in between. More importantly, though, I just thank you for the story of how you have loved each and every one of them how you sent your son to find them and to save them through his blood, how you brought us together. And I pray, Father, that as your children and as your family, we would live out that calling, that we would no longer just attend church or go to church, but that we would start to live out our calling of loving one another. Father, some of us have been doing that for a long time. I pray that we would look to them as examples. Some of us are new at this. I'm not real sure how. And so I pray we would have the humility just to watch and learn and find out. You're putting it on all of our hearts to take a step towards you always because that's your will, as we read in Ephesians, to look more like Jesus every day. And so, Father, I ask that you guide us, that our step might be to draw close to one another, to be your church, a church that can welcome those in our community with open arms a church that embodies what it looks like to love one another. And by that love, they would know who you are, just as Jesus describes in John 17. Father, use us as your people and as your family. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.